Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Wife and a goofy brother-in-law. And uh, I happen to meet all that criteria, so I'm, I'm standing here dressed up like Jim, kind of without the flannel. But we've been talking about, and it's a kind of amazed me that as we've been in the course of this series, that as I'm posting things on Facebook about the series, people still can't figure out who Jim is. Yesterday, I got a Facebook message. Who is Jim? Well, Jim is James in the New Testament. In the New Testament, James writes a very short book, but he uh, includes in that book, encapsulated in that book, is some of the most profound but practical, unlived wisdom in the New Testament. And so we've been going chapter by chapter uh, through the book of Jim to hear what he says to us. And I just want to warn you now that where we are in this is we are in Jim chapter 4, And next week we'll be in Jim chapter 5 and complete this thing. But I do just need to warn you that Jim chapter 4 and Jim chapter 5 are serious. They take no, he takes no prisoners. There's some heavy duty practical wisdom. Let, let, Let me, let me show you. He just. He doesn't even mince words. He just goes for the jugular right off. He he starts in Jim chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get. I told you this gets serious. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Boy, he didn't mess around, did he? He just threw us down on the ground, put his foot on our neck, and started grinding, didn't he? That's serious. Listen to the Message Bible. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? They They come about because you want your own way, and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you do not have, and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Ouch. Ouch. According to Jim, the first lesson that he teaches us right off the bat, is according to Jim, motives mess with miracles. He teaches us that the motives of our hearts become either obstacles or doorways to blessings. He, he immediately attacks our selfishness. Newsflash, we live in a selfish generation. If you haven't figured it out, let me just tell you that we all want what's ours, and we want it when we want it, how we want it, the way we want it. We even go to restaurants that promise to give it to us our way. Because we want everything done our way, in our mode, in our method. We are selfish. And Jim says that we, he he describes this process that takes place. What he says is, we want our own way. 
and we go to infinite lengths to get what we want. We use up all of our energy, all of our XP, expertise, all of our effort, and then what happens is when we don't get what we want, as an afterthought, we go, oh, maybe I ought to ask God. Maybe. I'll try it in my own ability, in my own power, with my own sweat, with my own blood, my own tears. I will work to get what I want. And then as an afterthought, when I don't get it, I I think I'll go ask God because I can't. But then something interesting happens. We don't get it. And we go, why? Why don't we get what has been promised? Why aren't we getting what I'm claiming? And Jim says that God refuses to bless us because we ask with the wrong motives. What is the wrong motive? What constitutes a wrong motive? I love Jim because he's so practical because he answers the question. He doesn't leave us hanging. He didn't leave, leave us wondering, well, I've got to figure out what the wrong motive is. He tells us exactly what the wrong motive is. He says our motive is wrong when we ask for something that will be used only on us. When we're going to use up God's blessings on us, that is the wrong motive. And God says, no. I'm going to make a statement here that I, I think I just proved to you out of Scripture, but that is this. God is not in the business of blessing selfish people. Have you ever met anybody that just seemed to have more than enough? I, I, you know, you just want to slap them. Every, every, th- every time you come into con, you're struggling and they're prospering. Your, your bank account's empty, there's overflowing. You're sick, they're well. It seems like everything they touch turns to gold and everything you touch falls apart. Ever, ever met those kind of people? Just, uh, I've discovered something about those kind of people. They, if you dig down deep, the reason they're so blessed is because they're so good at giving away. They give things away. They pray and they say, God, I need this blessing on my life. God blesses them with it. And they go, hmm, that looks good for somebody else. And they give it away. We know this truth. We know this truth, but we don't live it. The tighter you try to hold on to something, the more likely you are you are to lose it and you cannot get any more. Let me just share a profound truth with you that you need to know. You can't outgive God. I dare you to try. When your bank account is empty, tithe anyway. When it doesn't, when you don't have any provision, give anyway. Bless somebody else anyway, and God will step in. He always honors his word. And when your motives are right. He blesses us. So let me ask you some questions this morning. Why why do you want the new house? What are your motives? Why why do you want the new car? Because, see, the American way of, of thinking says we want the new car because we want to impress everybody. And while they're walking down the street in 103 degree temperatures, I want them to ooh and all over my new car. But what Christian's way of thinking says is, God, if you'll give me the car, now I'm obligated to use that to help somebody less fortunate than me. Have you ever met anybody that gave a car away? Their motives were right. We hold on. And our motives become wrong and we get in trouble and find out that God will not bless when we ask because our motives are wrong. See, we learned this stuff that profound to me. All the advice that Jim is giving us in, in his book, we learned in grade school. We just don't live it. He says, you want your own way. That's a, that's a lesson I learned in grade school. You don't get your own way. 
You don't always get your own way. And Jim is saying, listen, you got to understand, God knows what's best. God can read the motives of your heart, and he will bless you when your motives become pure. Jim is challenging us to check our motives. Why do you want the car? Why do you want the house? Why do you want the cash? Why do you want the new job? Do you see the new job as just a way of promotion so everybody will think you've arrived? Or do you want it because it provides for you a new missions field so you can reach out and expand the kingdom? Why do you want what you want? He teaches us grade school lessons. And oh, by the way, the second thing that Jim teaches us is this. I learned this in kindergarten. According to Jim, God would have flunked kindergarten. God would have flunked kindergarten. Uh, let, let, let me prove it to you. I'll read you the scripture and then I'll explain Jim chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred, hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble out of the Message Bible. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. God would have flunked kindergarten because God never learned to share. I learned in kindergarten that I couldn't play with all the blocks, that it was required of me even though I didn't want to. There came this moment where the teacher would walk into the room and say, you are going to have to learn to share. Some of you with small children in your house understand that's one of the first lessons we learn is that we don't get it our way all the time. We've got to share. But God would have flunked kindergarten because he does not know how to share. That is profound for us because I came to tell you this morning that according to Jim, God is a ferocious lover. In other words, let me state it like this. God is monogamous. No multiple partners allowed. God will not and cannot and shall never ignore or bat an eye at our adultery with him. If anything comes between us and God, at that moment, God flunks kindergarten and says, I refuse to share. I'm ferocious about my love. You ever been in a relationship with somebody that's jealous? Oh, come on now. Some of it. I mean, you, you have to wear blinders everywhere you go. I mean, they're so jealous. You had to, you went home and got your shoebox and cut it out and put it over your head so all you could do is look forward. Because, you know, if you look to the right or the left, they're going to go crazy on you because you're looking at somebody else. They're jealous. You didn't talk to me. And have you ever been with one of those people? Can I tell you this morning that God's jealousy causes that kind of jealousy to pale in comparison? He is ferocious. He is intense in his love, and he will not give us up. In fact, let me say this to you. Jim makes it very apparent that at the moment, listen, at the moment you cheat on God, he immediately quits being your friend and becomes your enemy. That should 
scare you. I've told you, I've taught you that enemies are necessary, that we all have enemies. But Jim says at the moment that you begin to flirt with, to play with, to play the field, to go out and, and flirt with the world, at that moment, God becomes your enemy. I want to tell you this morning that you you have no, it's inevitable. You will always have an enemy. Somebody will always be against you. But I just came to remind you that the one thing, the person that you do not want to have as an enemy is you do not want to have God Almighty as your enemy because he's undefeated. He's never been defeated. He will never be defeated. He will not lose. And you cannot stand the day when God quits working for you and with you and begins to work against you. You won't win that fight. You will lose every time. I wonder how many of us are going through life right now and what we've suddenly realized is that God is no longer our friend. God has become our enemy and everything we try to do falls apart and everything we touch falls apart and everything we invest in bombs and everything we give to bombs. Every time we turn around, there's trouble and trial and we thought we were working with God and suddenly because we allowed another lover to come along, his jealousy is rising up and he finds himself as our enemy and he quits working for us and with us in a against us. God is not an enemy that you want to have. And so he says, God doesn't know how to share. When you say, well, I don't know how to make God my friend. Well, yeah, you do. Live your life right. You make the choice in how you live your life to determine whether or not God is for you or against you by how you live. And so you have the ability to, uh, to come into this place where God is either your friend or your enemy, determined by how you live. And by the way, for those of you that have been living for God in the past, but you've now strayed or you're walking away or you're not as close as he was, can I just share with you the fact that God is a stalker? He will chase your hind parts down. He will not give up on you easy. He is a jealous lover. He won't let you get away. In fact, let me just break it real practical for you. You won't be able to enjoy the sin like you used to. I, 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 I could lie to you and tell you sin's not fun. That would be a lie. The Bible clearly states that sin is fun. There are some fun things out there, although it only lasts for a season. That sin is fun. You can go, you can make up your mind right now that after church sometime this evening, I'm gonna go have myself some fun. And I'm gonna tell you that it was fun. But now that you've tasted of God, can I just tell you that you will never be able, if you've ever tasted God, the alcohol will never taste as good. If you've ever tasted of God, the drugs will never taste as, as good. If you've ever tasted of God, sex that out there that's not out in the world and promiscuous and sinful will never be as good because once you taste and see that the Lord is good, nothing compares to our God. He's a jealous lover. You won't be able to enjoy it. You'll be, here we go, miserable. The most miserable people in the world are not the sinners, I don't believe. I believe that there are people that have come into contact once with God, they encountered the goodness of God, and then they go back and try to go back into the world. I think they're the most miserable creatures on the face of the planet because they know what it's like. Mm, God is a Jealous lover. He would have flunked kindergarten. Jim chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves then to the God. This is the most misquoted verse of Scripture in the entire Bible as far as I'm concerned. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I love the message translation. Listen to this. Quit dabbling in sin. I wanted to call this section a little dabble, do you? Because y'all, some of y'all old folks remember that commercial. Quit dabbing on sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. So according to Jim, surrender ensures victory. Uh, that's a different mentality, by the way, because see, we see we see surrender and submission as defeat. But Jim says, no, it starts with submission and then you resist. See, we've missed the formula. What we quote is this. Now, come on now. Y'all be honest. This is how we quote it. Resist the devil and he will flee. Well, I just got news for you. I've met a lot of people that try to resist the devil. They pray all kinds of prayer. They fast dozens of meals. They claim promises. They command. They demand. They proclaim. They declare. They take authority over. And they still find that they're defeated on every turn. And then they look at you and they go, well, this Bible stuff doesn't work. That Jesus that you talk about in you that has all this power, I don't seem to have any power. It doesn't work for me. They missed the formula. It says, submit and then resist. Because at the moment that we learn to submit to God, at that moment, God begins to fight for and through us. And at the moment you forget about the submission part and you just try to resist, can I just clue you in this morning, that at that moment you're trying to take the kingdom of darkness on by your silly little lonesome self. And you will lose every time. He says, look, you have to come to this place where you submit to God, where you are willing to lay your life down, where you're willing to, to give yourself away and say, God, I make you the Lord, the King, the ruler of my life. Every area of my life is yours. And then something miraculous happens. We resist. And the devil runs it's the formula see I, I i i've met people that wonder why all the religious activity they're involved in produces no victory but they have failed to submit to god in an area of their life like their call or where they work or what they give or how they serve or how they attend. And they got it all right but that one area. And they try to resist and try to resist and try to resist with no power. And Jim is saying, look, get it right. Submit to the Lord. What area do you need to submit in this morning? What area do you need to surrender to God? Because if you could get tap that one area and surrender, then the devil would run from you. I'm not going to comment on it much, but I think you ought to go back and read the last section of that. Because Jim paints a picture of repentance that we do not understand. We paint repentance as a two-minute stop at some altar where we cry crocodile tears and no pain involved and we pray a fire escape prayer. But I want you to go back. This is your homework. Go back today in the privacy of your own home and open up Jim chapter 4 and come and read this passage of Scripture about what true repentance 
really is. It involves pain and mourning and wailing and tears and contrite spirit and broken heart. That's true repentance. Anything short of that is a show. Jim nails this on it. Then in Jim chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping up but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I'm not going to elaborate on this, except I'm going to say this. Shut your mouth. Now, you say, why aren't you going to elaborate? Because, Jim, this is the fourth time already between chapter 1 and chapter 4 that Jim has talked about our mouth. And he says, you've got to come to this place where you are a mouth manager, that you take care of what comes out of your mouth and you make sure that you use your words wisely. And here you go. Here it is again for the third time. He's already dealt with your mouth four times. Now he deals with our judgment. We are to judge, but judge differently. Our judgment should carry mercy in it. And then he goes one step further now, and he says, not only about judgment, but now he begins, he says, leave punishment to God. We like to punish folks. You do me wrong, I'll do you wrong back. I will punish you. I will punish you. You don't treat me right, I won't talk to you for days. You look at me cross-eyed, I will slap you. We want to punish. And Jim says, no, no. Leave punishment to the one judge who can dole out the appropriate judgment. Then he goes on. Oh, we're going to have some fun here. Uh, Jim chapter 4. Don't leave me hanging, Tari. Jim chapter Where's Mike at? Where, Mike, Mike Baker, you get back in here. You ain't going to leave me hanging out here in this portion by myself. Jim chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. When you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is this. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows uh, this is we're going to do two things here and then we're going to be done anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins y'all don't want me to go there I'll go there in a minute I'll get back there if we have some fun uh, message Bible in fact if you you know the right thing to do and don't do it that for you is evil so here's the fun one so enjoy this one because the last one's tough here we go according to Jim we strut too much all right I'm going to show my age Back in the 70s, there was this movie which starred John Travolta. And in this movie, I'll never forget the last scene of this movie. He was walking down the street after he'd done whatever it was he did. I don't even remember. I just remember that he began to perfect his strut. I want all my men that aren't here. Come on, Danny. Crank that thing. I want you to come on. Get up, Tar. Get up. All right. I stood in my living room. Come on now, don't leave me hanging out. I stood in my living room and worked on my strut because I wanted to be able to strut. Like, come on, come on, let's show them, Tar. You have to add a little Ric Flair in there too because you got, you know, the nature one. You got to get that strut going there. Woo! Yeah. 
Gotta get this strut. Come on. Show me some strut. Yeah. 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 You can't touch the strut. Come on, Brandon. Show me a little strut. Show me. Yeah, with my boys here. Show you a little. All right. So we got some strut. Yep. All right. We'll see. Funny, except for this. The reason people strut is because they're proud. And they think they got it all together and they think they're in control and they think they're dictating the pace of life. Jim reminds us a powerful truth here, illustrated in a funny way, I'm sure. But the truth is this. We're not in control. I know you got all your plans. I, listen, y'all ain't never met nobody like me, I don't think. I, I plan everything. I can show you my calendar right now. I got my whole life planned now until I got no life left. I know what I'm going to do on Monday morning, 2022. I am planned out. But what I am telling you is for all of our planning, y'all think I'm joking. I, I, I'll show you my phone. It says go to the bank and to the post office on, on Monday of August of 2022. I promise you. I got it all planned out. But Jim says you ought to quit your strutting and quit your bragging and quit your boasting because you're not in control. God is in control. And so if we make plans without prayer, it becomes presumption. See, David understood this fact. David said this. David said in Psalm chapter 90, he understood that we are living on borrowed and loaned time. He said in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, 70 years are given to us. Some may even reach 80, but even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Don't, don't boast about tomorrow. So you need to understand that life, have you ever thought about how life is spelled? L-I-F, you'll get it here in a second, L-I-F-E. Right in the middle of everybody's life, there is a huge helping of if. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it figured out. And if you go around acting like you've got it all planned out and God can't mess with your plans, you are making presumptions. And Jim tells us that God will go out of his way to show you that you are not in control. See, God taught me some things out of this passage. He taught me that we ought to ask, what is your will, God? We don't do that anymore. Who should I date? Whoever I want to. I don't have to ask you. No, no. Jim is saying, no, you're making presumption. Those of you that are not married, you ought to pray about who you date. You certainly ought to pray about who you're going to marry. Because all the praying in the world ain't going to get you out of that marriage once you're in it. I'm preaching real good right now. Some of you need to go back and ask God about what his will is for your work because some of you are working somewhere that's paying the bills. But I didn't ask you, was it paying your bills? I asked you, was it God's will? Some of you need to pray about who you're hanging out with because I know they're friends and all. But have you actually stopped long enough to say, God, do I need to allow their influence in my life? We don't ask God's will anymore, and it causes us trouble and heartache, and we lose our position and our momentum because we forget to ask God what His will is. 
we make all kinds of decisions. We, we go, I'll move, I'll work, I'll love, I'll hang, and we never stop and ask God. See, God taught me this. This is I didn't get this out of a book. This is what God told me this week. He said, Steve, I want to tell you something. I can interrupt and change your plans at any moment. Then he dropped the bomb on me. He said, but you can't interrupt or change mine. <laughs> That'll mess with your planner. Because I got my life mapped out, and God said, uh-uh, I can change it at any moment, but you cannot change my plans for you. Ask God his will, and then the last one, which I hate, no fun. According to Jim, the do's are just as important as the don'ts. Oh, I hate Jim right now. Don't like you, Jim. Wish you weren't in the Bible, Jim, just because this one little passage right here. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that for you is sin. See, we almost always deal with sin in regards to the don'ts, especially in Pentecostal circles. Right, let me explain. Don't drink. It's a sin. I can live with that. I got no problem with that. Don't do drugs. It's a sin. Don't go out with girls who drink and smoke. Y'all know that old phrase. Yeah, that's a sin. Don't, don't lust. That's a sin. Don't steal. That's a sin. Don't cheat. That's a sin. Don't lie. That's a sin. And then Jim comes along and drops on us that it's not just what we don't do we sometimes sin when there are things we should do that we don't do i can live with the 10 commandment list god thanks a lot jim i was struggling with what not to do and now you say to me there are things you should be doing and when you don't do them i'm sinning like do go to church forsake not the assembling together of yourself i don't care if you're mad at church or not that's just what the bible says and so if I don't go to church, oh, I hate you, Jim. It's sin. If I don't tithe, ah, oh, it's sin. If I don't love my enemy, oh, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they abused me. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know how they wrecked my, my reputation. You don't know how. If I know to do something and I don't do it, it's sin. And what we want to do is we want to keep, keep the list of the don'ts and say we're done. We've done all we're supposed to do. And Jim is saying there's another side to this. What is God saying to you to do that you haven't done? At that moment that you don't do it, it becomes sin. Spirit-filled people ought to be spirit-led and at the moment that God tells you to do something, even if you can't find it verbatim in Scripture, say, well, it's not in there in black and white. It doesn't say that I have to love them. It doesn't say that I need to reach out to them. It, do it doesn't address my situation. But if you hear the whisper of the Spirit in you saying, you need to do this, at the moment that you refuse to do what He's saying to do, it becomes sin. So my question for you this morning is this. I could ask you, what are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? And we could have a pretty good altar call for that because some of you are doing some things you shouldn't be doing.
But the real question this morning is what are you not doing that you know you should be doing? See, that kind of levels the playing field. That takes the whole concept of these uh, categories of sins away where if you're doing the bad ones, I can stub my nose at you because I don't do those. Because I have no tendency or desire to do drugs and I see you do drugs, I can snub my nose at you until suddenly God says, love that person that uses you wrong way. Love that person that's not the same color as you. Love that person that doesn't smell like you. Love that person that doesn't that doesn't think you're all that. And then all of a sudden, I can't snub my nose anymore because we're on equal footing, because I sinned, because I didn't do what I knew to do. Dramatic pause. Let it sink in. What are you doing right now? Let me ask it a different way. Five years ago, what did God say to you to do? Three months ago, what did God say to do about that relationship? Oh, it's getting deep in here. What did God demand for you to do regarding your job? and your finances two weeks ago. I hate Jim. But Jim is just being real. Because the truth is that if we keep all the don'ts but fail to do the do's, we sin. Father, this morning, I'm thankful for practical wisdom. I'm thankful that your word dissects us, and as heavy as it is, it produces life in us. This morning, I pray over my people, Father. I pray that you would touch them. God, I pray that we would not strut through life acting as if we've got everything under control and we make our own plans and we never consult you. In fact, we turn to you as an afterthought. I pray that the question that would roll off of our tongue and out of our spirit and out of our heart every morning and every day of our life is this, God, what is your will for my life? Even if I think I'm living it, and I'm right in the middle of your will, God, let me constantly go back and check to make sure that I'm in your will and I'm in your plan. Father, I pray this morning that you would touch those of us that are struggling with the don'ts. I pray that you would speak to those of us that are fighting with the don'ts, those things that we don't seem to be able to keep. I, I pray special grace over them this morning, those that are battling those kind of issues. But Father, this morning I ask you for those of us that are struggling with the dues. I pray that right now, every person under the sound of my voice would re be reminded of instructions that you have given us that we have not carried out. Those are the dues. 
And I pray that we would resolve that place of disobedience, which becomes sin in our lives. Help us to not only take care of the don'ts, help us to succeed in the do's. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone stand, every head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around other than my leadership team and our prayer partners. They're looking because we want to be able to pray for you with wisdom and intelligence. Listen, under the sound of my voice right now, there are people in two categories. There are some people in this room that have never submitted themselves to God. You're not in relationship with Christ. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never said, Jesus, be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I want to tell you, you're on your own at that moment. You are fighting the enemy by yourself. You have, you desperately need Jesus in your life. If you're here and you say, Steve, that's, that's me. I, I recognize this morning that I need to submit to God. I need to submit to Jesus and ask him into my heart so that I can get in lockstep with what his will is for my life. If that's you, then quickly, would you just raise your hand and pull it back down? There's one. Anyone else be bold enough to say, that's me. I need to make a step towards God. Going to wait a moment longer. I promise we will not embarrass you. We will pray for you and hand you a card that will give you some important information. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to submit to him right now. A moment longer. Anyone else? The second category are those of us that know Christ, have been in relationship with God, but for whatever reason, somehow, some way, we begin to stray from Him and we begin to walk away. And I just came to remind you this morning that, according to Jim, God is a jealous lover and He will become your enemy if you are not submitted completely and totally to Him and that relationship is secured and right. If you're here and you say, Steve, that's me. I, I, I've been in relationship with God before, but I sense myself struggling and, and straying away from Him, and I don't want to be God's enemy. I want Him to be my friend. If that's you and you'd say, I want to get it right this morning, would you just raise a hand and pull it back down? Yes, there's about three on that. Yeah, three or four. Yeah. Yes. We're in this thing together. I want you to reach over and lay your hand on your neighbor. You don't know who you're standing next to. Some of you are standing next to people that raised their hand that said they're stray. They've been in this season of straying from God. We do not want God to be their enemy. Let's pray for one another. If you raise your hand, I want you to just begin to ask God. God, I su or to say to God, I submit myself to you. I surrender every area of my life. Fight for me and with me, God, not against me. Come on, let's pray. Father, this morning we bring our lives to you. We recognize that unless we're willing to come to the place where we sacrifice our lives to you and lay our lives down, Father, that at that moment you're no longer our friend. You become our enemy. We don't want to fight you, God. And so, Father, I pray for each individual that raised their hand. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now they would run towards you and you would run towards them. And great grace 
would come upon their lives and they would sense that they're in a better relationship with you at this moment than they've ever been in their life. We turn our backs on anything that distracts. We turn our backs on anything that keeps us from following hard after you, oh God. We give our lives to you. We surrender. Come on, can we all say this together? I, come on, say it again. I surrender to you. Come on, one more time. I surrender to you. The devil just got scared. Father, out of that base of submission, I pray that the enemy would be resisted and he would tuck his tail between his legs and run and flee in Jesus' name. We claim that over every individual here. And Father, I pray over my people that you would cause them to not just take care of the don'ts. I pray that they would take care of the don'ts. But this week, I pray that they would take care of the do's. And as they do that, you would move them into freedom and victory in obedience to your word. And Father, we'll be quick to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name. Now, this... It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.